we're going to talk about deacons today. Now, this this is uh, I'm not talking about Baptist deacons. Okay, if you have been in a Baptist church, was a lot of you have been in a Baptist church. Uh, a biblical deacon, which what we find right here, is not the same thing as a Baptist deacon. A Baptist deacon, as I mentioned to you last week, is like a hybrid. A hybrid, a kind of a cross between a biblical elder and a, and a biblical deacon. Because in most Baptist churches, deacons make decisions concerning spiritual matters and direction and all of that. But that's not true in the Bible. And that's why, you know, I, when I was younger, I never did this, but I knew of pastors who did, who would go and they would try to teach, you know, they come right out of seminary, and they try to teach their church concerning, if they go into a Baptist church, what it means to be a biblical deacon, okay? And they didn't last long, okay? Because you're talking about polity and how they're structured and everything. And it takes time and teaching to overcome that. So we're going to talk about deacons today. Now, deacons serve a role in the church. We don't have deacons in our church. We have trustees and we have elders. Our trustees are kind of like deacons, but they're not, okay? So we're going to talk about deacons today. Now, there was a typo in your notes. It's under the biblical note, deacon. You'll see the word, I said the word bishop. X that out, that should be the word deacon. I, I don't know, I must have been thinking about Baptist deacons when I wrote that, okay? Uh, here's what it means. It, it means one who serves, the position of deacon was possibly started by the apostles in the Jerusalem church. See Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 6. Deacons were selected to care for the physical needs of the congregation. Deacons were leaders in the church. While their qualifications are similar to those of elders, their roles are different as deacons are to carry out the practical tasks of running and maintaining the church. So that's what a deacon is, okay? So they do the ministry. Now, in, in, in some sense, the text can read that ladies can be deacons, okay? And we'll talk about that in a moment. So let's talk about the qualifications. So look with me, verses 8 through 10. You're going to see in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, you're going to see that deacons... Their qualifications are very similar, although they have a few more things very similar to the that of elders. Okay, so look with me at verse 8. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience, but let these be first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Verse 11, likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, 
But if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And without great controversy, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Okay, so let's look at the qualifications. Very similar, but there are some differences. First of all, the Paul states that a deacon must be reverent or worthy of respect. It has to be reverent or worthy of respect. Now, when we usually see the term reverent, we're talking about, oh, he's got to be somebody who's holy, walks in. No, that's not what he's talking about. It's talking about somebody who's worthy of respect, all right? It's not talking about his the way he carries himself if he's a spiritual dude. No, it's talking about he's got to be worthy of respect. Here's the other one. He has to be sincere. Paul states that a deacon must be sincere and not double-tongued. Does anybody know what a double-tongued person is? Two-faced or speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Usually that means he says one thing and what? Says another thing to somebody else. Do you know what I'm saying? And usually... Here's the crazy thing is usually you find out about that, right? You know, and, and, and so that's, you gotta mark it down in your mouth, mind that that person is what? Double tongued. He says one thing, says whatever he needs to say. But a deacon can't be that way. He has to be sincere. Paul states that a deacon must not be addicted to alcohol. Now look for a minute, the text does not say that he can't drink alcohol. Does everybody understand that? Read the text, look with me at verse 8. Not given to, what's the word there? Much wine. It's not saying that he can't drink wine. It's saying that he should not be given to much wine. Because I'm going to be honest with you, people in that era and that were a part of the world, did not drink water. Did you understand? Why did they not drink water? Anybody know why they didn't drink water? What's that? Polluted, yes. Polluted not just in the sense of dirtiness, but in the sense of bacteria getting sick. I was just talking to somebody this week, and they were mentioning to me about somebody went on a missions trip, they drank the water and got typhoid, okay? Now, do you understand? So people back then didn't drink the water. They drank fruit juices. Do you understand what I'm saying? They drank, because you make grapes. They didn't make grape. Welch's grape juice, by the way, didn't get invented till the 1800s, Okay? Just so you know, Jesus didn't make Welch's grape juice at Cana, okay? All right, didn't, that didn't happen until the 1800s. So, so people did drink back then, but the point is, is that they were not to be given too much wine. What does that mean? It's talking about addiction. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's talking about somebody who's addicted to his wine. So a deacon must not be addicted to alcohol. Paul states that a deacon must not be greedy 
or motivated to have money. So again, if you're going to have somebody who's in the church, especially when you think about it, deacons were to serve, minister to people. How, how, how do sometimes they have to minister to people? They have to handle what? They have to handle money. So you're not wanting somebody who's addicted to money or wanting to have money to have stuff because what usually ends up happening if you select that kind of person? Huh? Yeah, they still. I mean, every once in a while you're reading a progress about some treasurer from some organization stole tens of thousands of dollars and now they're in the county jail, right? Do you know what I'm saying? Because they obviously didn't check to see if they were a greedy person when they were elected, right? So Paul states the deacon must not be greedy or motivated to have money. Here he's going to talk about a clear conscience now, verse 9. Paul states that a deacon must have a clear conscience concerning the faith. A clear conscience concerning the faith. Now, what do you think that means? Having, having the hidden mystery, it says, having the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. What do you think that means? Okay. All right. That's good. That's good, Cindy. Anybody else? What do you think it means to hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience? That's got to be key for a person to be a deacon. You're, you're living what you believe is what you're saying. So Bruce is saying you live what you believe. You're holding it with a pure conscience. You're not just saying it. You are living it out. Okay. All right. So if you're struggling, you're being honest about that, okay? So it's talking about a pure conscience being living what you believe, okay? Anybody else? Did I see some hand? Yes, Shauna. Okay, pure is what you think, even if you have a question because you're having faith, okay? That's good, because here's the thing. Can you answer everything here? Okay, so like, I'm getting ready to do the lessons for our next thing after this, which is the survey of the Old Testament. And the first lesson has to do with creation. And, you know, so everybody's, oh, early, early earth, young earth, you know, can't be evolution, can't be this, blah, blah, blah. We're going to talk about all of that. And so the reality is, is believing that God created in six literal days, can you prove that? That has to be something that you have to hold to by what? Faith. Did you understand what I'm saying? Okay, that's a real good answer, Shauna. Okay, here's the other one. The mystery of the faith refers to the plan of salvation that is fully known in Christ. So that adds a little bit better to it. So the mystery of salvation. So the the so when I talk about the the. The plan of salvation, when I talk about the mystery of the faith, we're talking about the reality of Jesus dying on the cross. Because let's be honest, does that make sense to a rational person? That somebody had to die on a cross for your forgiveness of sins. Does that make sense? To a rational person, no. Really? Are you really believing that? I have people tell me that. Do you really believe that? That's something we have to accept by what? 
Faith. Okay? All right, let's go on. Here's one. Paul states that a deacon must be first tested or observed before serving as a deacon. So he's got to be tested or observed. Now, why would that be true? Think back to the elders. The elders said, don't lay hands on a what? Novice. Why is this similar? That you got to observe them first before you select them to what? Serve as a deacon. Okay, so you want to know them first. You want to see if this guy is of care. First of all, how are you going to know that he meets these qualifications, right? Right. Unless you observe him. You can't judge a book by its cover, but time will tell, though, eventually, right? Okay? Because, okay, I've been in church a long time. Y'all have been in church a long time, right? Have we ever, have you ever been in a church where they selected a leader? without really knowing who the leader is, and then realizing too late that they shouldn't have selected him as a leader. Ever been in a church like that? Yeah, there's been, that's happened in some places. I've seen that happen, where they regret it. Holy cow, I thought he was different, you know what I'm saying? But he wasn't. That comes from not knowing who you select. Now, some of you are like, I've never been in a church like that. Well, that's good. That's good, okay? Because you want to know who it is that you're selecting, okay? Here's what happens. I'm going to be honest with you. Here's what happens. We sometimes get in a mindset that says, okay, we got to have a a deacon board or an elder board with five people. We only got three men who are qualified, but we got two slots. We got to, here's the, we got to fill the two slots. Really? Do you really need to fill the two slots? Because what if there's no men who match that? Because if you get into the mindset of the democracy, well, we got to have five men. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. Hold on. That can be dangerous. Because what's driving you now is filling the slot, not looking for the right man. Here's what I'm saying. If you're talking about a deacon, I think this is true of anyone. You've got to test him first. Let's go on. Here's the other thing. He has to be above reproach. A deacon must be blameless and not have a standing accusation against him. Again, remember I told you last week that word blameless is not the same word which is used with relationship to Jesus because nobody is blameless. Everybody understand that? Nobody is blameless, right? Except one person. Who? Jesus. What's it talking about with reference to us? A different word has a meaning above reproach that is not a standing accusation against him. It's like being a Teflon man. It's not saying that he doesn't make mistakes, but there's no standing accusation against him in the community. Okay. Now, verse 11, it gets a little bit interesting because this, it doesn't say this with regards to the elders, although we could use the same principles. <laughs> It talks about the wives of deacons. Okay? And number one, wives, it states that a wife of a deacon must be serious or reverent. Now, again, I'm not talking about, the wife comes in like a holy posture. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about her demeanor. It's not saying that she can't be a jokester, but it means that she's serious about life and she's reverent. Okay? Here's one. A wife of a deacon 
must not be a slanderer or a gossip. The same word also means gossip. Why is that important? Why is it important that the wife not be a gossip? Well, not necessarily her, but if she's a wife of a leader in the church, why does the wife of a leader of a church, why is it important that she not be a gossip or a slanderer? Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of Tim, but that's not where I'm going. Okay. Might get some dirt on people or whatever. Well, he's not might, he will. Yeah, right, and it's not a, she shouldn't be spreading that around. Uh, yeah, because here's the thing, if you're an elder or if you're a deacon and you're ministering to people in the church, people who come to church, are we all whole and have no problems? No, we're all broken people who struggle, right? Okay, so I'm going to use my friend Rob here. Okay, Robert here. Robert comes and talks to me about something, and he says, man, I'm really struggling, George, and he tells me what he's struggling with, okay? And so I'm at home and having a meal with Lori, and I said, you know, she said, how was your day today? I met with Rob. How'd that go? Well, he's struggling. He's struggling. And this is what he's struggling with. Oh, okay, well, we'll pray for him. Next day, Lori sees Tammy. Hey, Tammy, pray for Rob. That's how we do it in Christian church, right? Stab people in the back with prayer, okay? Pray for Rob. Pray for Rob because he's struggling. This is, would you believe what he's struggling with? Oh, I'll pray for him, Lori. That's what? Gossip and what? Slander. This is why it says a wife can't be that way. Hey, look, folks, when you select a man to be a leader, look at his wife. Look at his wife. Did you understand what I'm saying? Because you're, because listen, when we talk about, when we talk about in church, People have messy lives. We all have messy lives, and we come in contact with each other's messy lives. You want to know that there's what? Confidentiality there, right? Did you understand what I'm saying? Confidentiality there, all right? Now, here's the other one. Her moderation, a wife of a deacon, must have a lifestyle not by, that is marked by moderation and temperance. A wife of a deacon must have a lifestyle that's marked by moderation and temperance. Here's the other one. It talks about her faithfulness. It states that a wife of a deacon must be faithful in all that she does. It's going to, again, as with the elder, it's going to talk about the issue of his family. Verse 12. Paul states that a deacon must be married and not divorced. Again, a one-woman man. Now somebody said, well, back then they had polygamy. I'm sorry, that may have been okay back then, but that was not God's plan. God's plan has always been what? One man, one woman for one lifetime. And if you have a leader who has more than one man, I would say that man is crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? That's, that's just pure craziness. Because polygamy, having more than one wife, is never viewed in a good way in the Bible. 
there's always problems. Start from the patriarchs, go forward, always problems with guys who have more than one wife. You can't overlook it. And in the Bible, it says a husband of what? One wife to be a leader, all right? Can't be divorced. Now, states that a deacon must lead his family and have the respect of his children. So, let's talk about verse 13, now the presence of a deacon. Paul states that a deacon who serves well gains a good standing with others within the church. That's worthy, isn't it? Have you, ever, I've, you know what? One of the wonderful things I hear is when people say, oh, do you know so-and-so? He serves in our church. He's a good man. That's a good thing to say. Do you understand what I'm saying? He was there for me. Did you understand? That's always a proper thing. He's a good man. So that's part of it is, is that he, the presence of a deacon has a, he has a good standing, his conduct in the church. So here's the other one. He has great boldness. Paul states that a deacon who serves well can speak boldly for the faith. So this is a person who, who's able to communicate well about the gospel because he lives it and he, and he lives it out in front of others. So now we get to verse 14 and 16. Verse 14 and 16 are not just with regards to a deacon, but they're with regards to the whole issue of church leadership in general, with regards to elders, with regards even to the role of women. We talked about that earlier. Uh, it's talking about the whole perspective of how we operate in a church. So here's what he says. Paul was writing this to explain how churches are to conduct themselves. So when he talked about the role of men in church, prayer being significant, talked about the role of women, not teaching or have, having a congregational leadership role, talked about elders and the type of people that they should be, talked about deacons and the type of people that they should be. He's writing this with regards to how we what? Conduct ourselves as a church. All right? So that's what he's saying here. Paul describes the church of the living God as the support for the truth of God. You want to know why people can believe the gospel or can believe the truth of the Bible? It's because they see it lived out where? Among God's people. Not in the meeting house. This is a meeting house. The church is who? God's people. Because they see it lived out among God's people. Okay? Now, the mystery of godliness refers to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying here. He, he gives probably a creedal statement there in which he talks about the mystery of the gospel. Next week, we're going to move on. Next week, we are going to be uh, looking at apostasy and truth. The issue of apostasy and truth.